Welcome to Girl with the Mic podcast. Today's episode, I'll be sharing the mic with Peng. Peng is someone who is such a light for the people around her. You know, we met a few years ago and it's been magic when we're together. And, you know, there's just people in your life that you jive with like that. That's who she is to me. Um, You can't help but be drawn to her. She's become my rock at work and you'll see the wisdom and ease of how she speaks and the grace and her perspective. And... She's really a pocket full of sunshine. There's so much joy that she brings into the room, into the situations that she works in, and it's really impactful in her work. She's assertive, um, but at the same time, she's really calming, and that's something I admire her for and something um, I know you're going to hear today. I hope you're able to connect with this because I know on some level we all struggle with too many yeses. And today we break down where it could come from, and that's so powerful. We brag about doing too much, we try to outdo each other, we celebrate when someone is doing the most, society has us running in circles, um, and sometimes we don't even know why. A lot of times we don't even honor ourselves when we do that. So listen to this and put something in place to have more intention behind your yeses and your noes. Be the bosses of them. Don't let them be the boss of you. Please enjoy. Welcome to Girl with the Mic podcast. Today, I'm sharing the mic with Pang. And gosh, she's one of my dearest coworkers and speaks so much wisdom all the time. So I'm really excited to talk to her about this. Uh, Pang, can you introduce yourself? Yes. My name is Pang Moore. I identify as Hmong American and I... I'm a proud daughter of a big, big Hmong family, <laughs> and I also professionally um, am an associate dean for diversity and intercultural engagement. And really, just on my downtime, I'm pretty chill. I just love spending time with friends, family, and my husband. Thank you so much for sharing that slice of you, Pang, and for your time today. Pang and I talk about so many different things, um, but if I were to pick, Pang and I really talk about our professionalism and higher ed as Asian women, <laughs> as leaders, as strivers, um, hustlers, pioneers, all the things, um, and I couldn't do any of that without her, so Likewise. thank you for, for being here with us today, and tying to that, our topic is the power of no. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to start with Pank, <laughs> do you have a quote for us tied to the power of no? I yes. So I have a poem and it it goes like this. There is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread by William Stafford. What a powerful poem. Could you explain why you chose that one and what that means to you? Yes. You know, I would say I'm not... A, like super poet poetry person mm-hmm. but I came across this poem a few years ago and what I really like about it is asking people what their thread is asking myself 
what my thread is. And I think that was what was most intriguing about this poem. So with that, what is your thread? I'd love to hear. (laughs) Thank you for asking, Anne. Oh, gosh. My interpretation of this poem and what I identify as my thread, the things that are life-giving to me, and I would say ultimately God is, I'd say, the God's cosmic calling in my life. I would say the one energy or connection that keeps me going through the years and through the sorrows and through the joys of my life. So I would say it would be that, the calling in my life, God, and um, the decision or choice to move forward each day. Now, what does that look like? I know a lot of our listeners might know you in person and a lot of us do not. So Mm -hmm. What are some examples of how that looks like for you, Mm -hmm. that energy from God and that thread? Yes. So, oh, that's a great question. What does that look like? So I have been doing some work on the Enneagram these last few years, and no one told me that it would be such a, like, bittersweet, slow process. And it doesn't help that I met, like, Enneagram fanatics at the very beginning, Um, so what I've learned is that I'm a type eight and I resisted that for a little while and now I've learned to embrace it. And I've just learned that God has designed me to be fierce, assertive, thoughtful, passionate individual. Mm. And so, and I noticed that too, as a little kid, I remember first to Twin Cities Uh, moving from a small town in Wisconsin. And I looked out the window and I told myself, oh my gosh, look at all the pollution on the ground. I am going to clean up all this pollution. And I mean, just that dream and determination at the age of eight was just some memories that I have held on to all these years um so just Mm -hmm. things like that too I'm also really passionate about families and marriage and um like faith and ensuring that myself and the people around me are growing developing in their well-being in their relationship with others so I think that's what really pulls me through and it really stems from my own relationship with God so that's mm-hmm. what it looks like practically in my life. Wow. Thank you for even tying it back to your childhood. And if you know me at all, I'm doing that all the time because I always see correlations uh-huh. to how we were when we were younger and how much that younger side of us really just wants to pop out in the world yeah. that we are in now. And so it, an example of, of even me as a kid, I I was always very quiet in class. And so I don't know if my teachers ever knew that I spoke. Mm. (laughs) Um, And then when we get to recess, what I did was I talked the entire time either by the swings or the sandbox. Mm. And I don't Mm. know in elementary school what, you know, seven year olds life talk about, but I know that I was doing that. And one, I know my teachers were like, wait, she does talk 
because now she's running her mouth during recess. <laughs> uh, and two, they would come up and go, go run, go play. And I would look up really confused. And I'm like, I am playing. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> because that I know between the both of us is a reflex. For sure. um, so Pang, can you share what your relationship with yes is? And where do you think that ever originated yeah. from? Oh, such a good question. So my relationship with yes is complex. And I mean, I would say in short, it comes from my desire to please people and uphold my image, whatever that image is, whether if it's the labels that I give to myself or the labels that others give to me. And I also think my relationship with yes and how it's gotten me in trouble is also being a Hmong American daughter. I'm the oldest daughter of seven kids. And so I've just been socialized to say yes to helping my parents, to helping my siblings, to helping the entire clan, to helping the entire um, Hmong community. And it's mm-hmm. not like anybody has explicitly or directly said any of those like I can't pinpoint it but that's also not to say that nobody directly explicitly said that to me to to Mm -hmm. say yes to family to community to the collective so I would say those are some of the pieces of of my relationship with yes and trouble yeah thank you for sharing that and I would agree with you. I'm Vietnamese American and I am also an oldest daughter. And so having to take on responsibilities or be what you were raised to be or meet expectations put on you, that is such a dynamic Mm -hmm. that I think we're consistently trying to wrestle with. And um, if you know anything about birth order, oldest tend to follow the rules mm-hmm. um i am loosely that i will secretly not follow if i pick um infj by the way and um really though i think the other thing that motivated me with all these yeses was um i don't know in vietnamese there's there's this word of like you're not it's not that you're dumb i just you you weren't bright mm-hmm. and and they and and so that was always the word they used to describe me. Uh, what's the word? That yeah. I wasn't smart. Um, I wasn't len. Uh, and so like if a baby had really like alert eyes and was really interactive with the world and all of those things or learned quickly, uh, someone would say, oh, God, I len. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was never said that too. <laughs> I just heard people compliment other people. And And I felt like because I wasn't the smartest or the quickest or definitely, you know, the the most academically sound child, uh, I just overcompensated with my yeses. She wasn't the smartest, but she did the most. And that was that was my way of compensating that no one's going to talk about how dumb I was. Yeah. You know, if if I made myself irreplaceable in what I did and gosh, it got me into trouble, but it also got me what I wanted. It created a wedge of value that I created where there wasn't one. Uh, 
So I, I still wrestle with that all the time. I, now I know I'm not dumb. Mm-hmm. I know I'm heavily wise and maybe don't have the best grades, but I'll take anybody in life. Yeah. Um, so that's like my, my older self, but um, sometimes my younger insecurities come on out and I'm like, yep, let me do the most because yeah, I'm not the sharpest. For sure. Oh, wow. Thank you for your vulnerability. Oh, for sure. So do you have an example of um, how your yeses have gotten you into trouble? Peng and I have to talk about this all the time because she and I are yes women. Yes. Uh, and, and it's a wrestle because it got us here. Yeah. One. Right. So we got to acknowledge that. Right. Like our, our yeses, we're both associate deans in a higher education um, institution and um, it's predominantly white. And so mm-hmm. uh we know we had to muscle a lot to sure. get here for sure. Um, but how has it gotten you into trouble and why are we consistently retraining our brains to say no? Yeah. Uh, I think you brought up a really good point. Our yes is paradox. Um, yep. It has gotten me to where I am now and it has also gotten me into trouble. Um, okay. So how did mm-hmm. I get me in trouble? Well, another thing I've learned about myself is that, I am a doer and similar to you, Anne, I just an assignment or an opportunity, an after school assignment or club, a I needed some tending to, like my soul needed some tending to, some attention. You know, high school program, college, my master's, my all the jobs that I did, it was just more and more yeses. And I got to a point where about a few years ago, I said yes to a full-time job and yes to essentially two quarter-time jobs. And I have futuristic as one of my strengths. And because I was completely overwhelmed with work and with being busy, I could not see, I didn't want to look into the future. I did not I couldn't even look into the next six months. And when that happened, I knew I just got to a point where I said, I can't do this anymore. I was exhausted. And I essentially told God, I've been holding on to the steering wheel of the vehicle called life for the last several years. And I'm exhausted and I cannot continue to hold on to this steering wheel anymore. And surrender came to my mind a few years ago, and I had to surrender the steering wheel of life to God. And the moment I surrendered, God, I mean, it was just this release in my life. And God just, I mean, so tenderly, gladly took the wheel from me. And so that was really just me falling Thank you for for sharing that and acknowledging that I feel like a lot of us wrestle this with God often, where we sit with the fact that um, the level of control we've built or desired, um, we kind of sit with the nest we built ourselves and we're like, actually, you want to take it uh, because <laughs> all of my choices got me here and I'm going to need you. And um to then finally let go and notice how effortless it is that things then fall into place correctly. I think that level of surrender gets easier and easier when you see 
you know, all the good that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, thank you for sharing. Uh, now, what do you have to tell that people pleaser side of you when you're offered an opportunity nowadays? Because how many, how many of you listening are people pleasers? I know for sure we've, we've all got a sense of that. And I, as I'm raising my son, I'm realizing he's consistently looking at us, at my face for feedback. Mm -hmm. Is this good? Is this not? Um, do I do this or no? And, um, that, affirmation constantly was something we've needed ever since we came into the world and so um people pleasing was something I believe we were all trained to do I think some are not as bound by it than others and I know that even as Asians we we seek it a lot actually and um especially trying to prove ourselves in a world that that wasn't ready for us in the spaces that we're in Mm -hmm. um how do you pep talk your people pleaser into utilizing her now? <laughs> yes, great question. So one thing I've learned to do is when I'm when someone proposes a situation or an opportunity for me and I have to respond with an answer, I now simply can just name and identify when I'm trying to please somebody. Um, and so... Mm. It, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still there. The people, people pleasing pain is still there. Um, mm-hmm. So whenever people pleasing shows up, I just identify a name like, oh, there it is. It's here. I, I am literally deciphering between pleasing this person or acknowledging what's really going on in my world and in my body. So I just now continue to identify oh, that there's me pleasing somebody so that surfaces and um, I think the other piece too I've learned is and you taught me this I mm. it can be pretty clear to me when it's a pretty fast solid no um, mm. and then there's also other moments where I am faced with an opportunity and I'm pretty certain it's it's a good thing to do. It is a good opportunity. It's life-giving. Mm-hmm. It checks all the boxes of it's life-giving to me. It aligns with my calling. It's It complements the thread that I talked about earlier. Yes. And yeah. I, I really want to lean in and say yes. Um, and you've taught me a few years ago in one of our one-on-ones that there is an answer an alternative mm-hmm. to no, and that's not right now. It's not yeah. a yes. It's not a no. It's not right now. And not right now has been amazing because I can still identify, wow, this opportunity really aligns with who I am, with what's life-giving to me, what's what I'm passionate about, how God has wired me. And I literally do not have the capacity for it, whether it be time, the my energy, Um, my ability, my calendar. Um, And so the power of saying not right now. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity and not right now. Oh, and that's the other piece too. Identifying when I feel flattered Mm. with an opportunity (sighs) and when it truly is an opportunity that I want to say yes to because it's um, 
aligns with who I am. So I've been able to identify too, gosh, I'm flattered. It's a no, but I'm flattered. I've been able to identify that too. Oh my gosh. Uh, Thank you for acknowledging that because I had my run-in with that as well, Mm -hmm. where um, I tend to get leadership positions. I think it's how I do things. I think it ties to how I connect to people. Mm -hmm. And um, I, for the longest time, couldn't tell if what I was offered or approached about was for me Mm -hmm. or not. I felt like because it was decision making, I felt like because I was flattered, someone would trust me with the proposal like that, that that was a for sure yes Mm -hmm. for me. And God has shown me in so many ways what my work in higher ed is and what it Mm -hmm. is not. I think because of my background, because I'm Vietnamese American, because I connect with students of color and those who are Caucasian, um, that that I get asked to be in different positions that are not necessarily tailored to me, but tailored to my either upbringing or skills. Mm. Um, and and there's a difference there that when I was younger, had I been aware of my threat, I would have caught that really quick. But because I didn't, I would go through the actual interview process, be the final two and not be chosen and be heard about that. Only two years later, be like, that was never yours to begin with, you clown. Like, why are you interviewing for this stuff? (laughs) So there is a difference between being honored to be asked because it's your work or being flattered Mm -hmm. that something not your work was Mm -hmm. asked of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those yeses feel very, yes, very different. Agreed. So I, I, I'm grateful for the divine intervention that did not give me that, even if it was a hit to mm. my ego for a good minute there. Um, and more, as you were saying, um, there's this other quote that I was reading. Um, and it's, uh, you know, while you both discover, discuss whether the glass is half full or half mm-hmm. empty, I'm going to drink the water. Oh. And that's right. It's good because there is always a third option, even if people don't give it to you. Take the third. Take the not yet. Not the no forever. I think people, um, I know this is a sales tactic. Do it in the next 30 minutes or you lose it forever. And then that panic, you know, sets and you're like, well, I know it's yes. I know it's not yet. But if never is the other option, then I'm going to do it. (laughs) Um, If you give yourself the option to go, it's a refillable glass. Let me drink this water and refill my glass. Um, then, Then it's out of the question whether or not it's full or not. Yeah. We just know it refills and I want to for sure, it. for sure. No. And anybody yeah. who knows Anne knows um, that she is a wizard and um, mm-hmm. the truth teller, the Oracle, the just great space. That's what you are when you're an INFJ. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and I mean, you put me in that position a few years ago. I remember I, I was, yeah, I already had a full-time job and I also had two quarter-time jobs and I was really debating between one of the quarter-time jobs, which was a great opportunity. I felt like great community of colleagues and professionals. And I just said, I do not have the capacity for this, but gosh, this is such an incredible opportunity. And I remember you had asked me that question of, 
is this no forever or is this not yet? Which one is it? And I was like, I totally thought, wow, this was either yes, right now, 30 seconds, make a decision or no, yeah. and then lost opportunity forever. And in that moment, I realized this is not right now. And so that's what I did. I went to the person who gave me this opportunity and I said, you know, thank you. Not right now. And I will, I would love this opportunity again if it fits. And quite honestly, this opportunity I know is still available to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> mainly because mm-hmm. they're still trying to recruit me. Um, but yeah. I think that's the beauty of it. And that th- it's now three years later. So mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. Thank you for being a wizard. Thank you for sharing that and saying that I'm a wizard. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, I think with decision making, it's so important to have certain circles that you bring these decisions to, you know, um, the people who are in your corner to be like, here's what's on my plate. Here's what the proposal is. Like, what do you guys think? Because in the moment, that's when our people pleaser wants to come out. My go to answer now is I'll think about it and get back to you. Thank you. Because if I want to give myself the 30 seconds, it's like, yes, I'll figure it out in three business days. <laughs> See ya. Um, and that's not a healthy thing. And uh, one thing I feel like is also really important to touch on is that uh, at this point in our lives, um, our yeses and nos are a lot harder. Yeah. Because, um, you know, back when we were younger and drawing boundaries and being very careful with things, we've sorted so carefully what our yeses and nos are. Like, I know, I know these things aren't lifting to me. Uh, these things I thrive at with little effort. These things require more effort, but are worth it. Um, you've sorted that. And so now with our curated choices, um, we're choosing between yeses and yeses. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is uh, painful. And it's really difficult to do and um, is never the most clear thing that you almost have to read and reread and look at your plate and and really weigh things out because the no's don't feel good anymore. <laughs> like I repeat, they don't feel good. Um, and, and my example would be uh, everyone knows that I, I teach yoga and it's been both life-giving to me personally and, and my own health, but also it's a way for me to share that gift with the room. And this pandemic has been really hard on, on my ability to do that. I've missed my classes. I've missed my sculptors. And um, I recently just had to say no mm-hmm. to continue doing that. Mm-hmm. One, for the health of my family, because it is still, yes, a risk. Um, but two, I frankly do not have the bandwidth with what I've got on my plate right now. Um, so really I typed it out. I shut my eyes and I sent the email and I'm still grieving that now, but it is so necessary because, um, there's a passage I read a while ago where you still have to cut a good branch, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because then your existing branches go from good to great. There's more of you to go into them. And so remember whatever you say yes to, you're saying no to other things. So because I said yes to all my other side endeavors and I have a pretty, you know, full, full-time mm-hmm. job that, that by continually saying yes to this full-time job, that means there's a no to something Absolutely. I like. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Um, so Peng, do you have any closing thoughts? I do. Us? Yes. I think, you know, like you mentioned right now, it's discerning yeses and yeses and, mm-hmm. you know, something that in just the soul work that I've been doing these last several years, I've learned that what really defines who I am is not what I do, but who who I'm being and who I'm becoming. Um, oh, I have to remind yes. myself all the time, I'm a human being, not a human doing. And mm-hmm. if I continue to operate as a human doing, I think and I tell myself that what I'm doing is uh, what determines who I am. Um, and it isn't. And so as I did a lot of the work as a type eight, um, I was reading Chris Hewitt's uh sacred enneagram and he says stillness teaches us restraint and in restraint we are able to discern what appropriate engagement looks like and so i've been practicing stillness i think covid forced me to stillness and in stillness is where i've found uh who i am so i'll wrap up with another poem and this poem is actually written by Dr. Ruben Rivera, a dear friend of mine. And it's really simple. And it goes like this. Not everything, not nothing, but something. Keep doing something. And that poem has what, is what has really pulled me forward into this thread that is my something. Oh, thank you so much for ending <laughs> us on that note. I'm going to leave that one alone. Thank you so thank much you, for Anne. your time, Pang. As always, this is a blast. You Have too. A good 